So we'll move on. We are continuing today our study in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, you can go to Ephesians chapter 2. We finally made it through chapter 1. And so this is a big exciting day for us as we're going to be able to start chapter 2 today. Uh, y'all, we all know that this, this year is a huge a huge year for us because we have an election year. We'll be voting on uh, the, the, a president. We have statewide offices that are up for grabs. And I, was, I thought of this because I was over in Lexington the other day eating lunch, and I saw this sign, and when I saw it, I just said, man, I've got to tell people about this. The strangest motto that I saw on one of the signs of a candidate who was running for office, a guy named Frank Barron was running for a county coroner over in Lexington County. And I'm telling you the truth. I'm driving to Grecian Gardens for a lunch appointment, and it said, Frank Barron, county coroner, saving lives. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but when I saw that sign, I, I just sat there and thought, how does a guy who works with dead bodies all day, how is he saving lives? And I'm still not too sure about it. I think what he's trying to say is if you vote for me, then the county coroner office is going to be in good hands. I don't know. That story really doesn't fit anywhere, but I thought, man, this is too good not to tell you all about. And so it's just bizarre. But I, I do think, on, on a, I guess in a way to try to tie this in, is I think all of us, we, we want our lives to be in good hands. You know, we, we want the... You know, if we're making an investment in something, we want to know that our investment is going to pay off. If we are, uh, if we are investing in people, we want to know that it's going to be a safe bet, that it's something that's going to be good. Well, today in our passage of Scripture that we're going to look at, we're going to see the Apostle Paul lets us know that the best place where we can invest our lives is in Jesus. And today we are continuing in our study in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to see what Paul is trying to teach the Ephesian Christians, and also what he's trying to teach us, is that, is that Jesus is where you want to invest your life. And the reason why is because there is, like I said a while ago at the beginning, there is a lot of junk in this world. There's a lot of us who struggle in life, and, and I don't care who you are and how put together you are, there's going to come a time when you're going to be beat down, and there's going to be a time when you're going to suffer, and there's going to be a time when you hurt, and it's in those moments you have to say, who is it that's going to hold me up? Who is it that's going to take care of me? Do I have any hope? And what Paul shares with us today is that we can have hope and meaning in life whenever we seek Jesus. And so today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1, and hopefully we're going to see this. And so if you have your Bible, I just want to encourage you to turn there. Uh, someone asked me, they said, have you, have you changed the version of the Bible that you're reading? And I have. Um, not that this is all that important for you, but it's a little bit different when you read it. It'll be the same on the screen today, but I'm using the Holman Bible. Uh, Emily, it's, uh, Emily bought it for me because the print is bigger. And I hate to say this, but y'all, I've been struggling. I'm looking at this, and we have these dim lights that come on every once in a while, and I can't figure it out. I mean, I, when you turn, when you get over 40, your vision, you just, I, I figure I'm going to be blind like in the next week or two. So yeah, I did change versions, but uh, anyway... It's going to be on the screen. I wish I could read the screen because this is killing me right here. But anyway, the background of Ephesus is interesting. Uh, as we go through the study of Ephesians, background information here, Ephesus was a really important Roman, Roman uh, province. Uh, it was uh, one of the home of, to one of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, the Temple of Diana was there. The Temple of Diana was humongous. 
Um, it's no longer there. It's in ruins now. But it was something to, to be seen. Uh, it was also a major banking center in the Roman Empire. And so whenever you read the book of uh, Ephesians, you'll see that Paul uses a lot of banking terms. He talks about a deposit and about your salvation being guaranteed. And he did this to identify with the people that he was writing to. Because the people would have known about investments. I mean, it's a banking center. The people would have known about profit and loss. They would have known about the value of money. But what Paul teaches is that you don't want to invest your life in just solely material things. And the reason why is because the stuff of this world, it is temporary. Right? The stuff of this world, it's it's not going to be here forever. There's going to be a time whenever it runs out. Uh, let me try to give you an example. Uh, last year, I, I had a truck, and I sold, I, we sold our truck on uh, Christmas Day. And after I sold the truck, I went out and I bought probably the coolest car that there is, a Mustang. And uh, y'all have to tell you that when I'm in that Mustang, I am very cool. I mean, I know that whenever people see me, they just think, man, I would like to be more like him. Right? Now, anyway, it's just my wife, it's, she cringes every time I drive in because I just, I love to hear the way that it sounds. I'm very shallow. I'll just go ahead and admit it. So, anyway, but I, I, you know, I love the car, but as excited as I was about getting that car at the beginning, the fact of the matter is, as time passes by, and you know this, as time passes by, that car that we were so excited about, ultimately, it's just a car, right? It just gets you to and from places. And that's all. And there's going to come a day when I'm going to have to replace that car, there's going to, especially if my oldest son continues to drive it. But there's just going to come a day when it's going to wear out. The fact of the matter is that everything in this world comes and it goes. And I think the question that gnaws at the back of everybody's mind is, is there anything in, in this life that I can do that really has value? Is there anything in this life that I can invest in that truly makes a difference where I can say, you know what, this, what I am doing, this has meaning. This brings fulfillment. Well, Paul gives a good argument today for Jesus. And what I want us to see today, very briefly, is just a few important facts that Paul shares with us today. And the very first important fact that all of us need to know is that we are all spiritually dead. And that is something that is important for us to understand. We are spiritually dead. Now let me share with you, in in chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and by nature we were children under wrath, as the others were also. Now we all know that there are some ugly things in all of our lives. There are some things that all of us have experienced that when we look back on them we think, man, I wish that would have never happened. You know, some of you have experienced broken marriages, you've experienced busted relationships, you've experienced financial difficulties, you've experienced struggles in family relationships. Some of you have had 
physical difficulties in your life. And so there's all these different things that, that we've all experienced. And, and there's even times in my life when I will look back or I will remember, it'll just pop into my mind, a certain thing that happened a while ago. And I'll think, man, and I'm talking about even from college. And I'll sit there and I'll look at it and I'll remember it and I'll think, man, I wish that would have never happened. The fact is, this is the story for all of us. And it becomes humbling whenever we begin to discover that a life apart from the leadership of Jesus separates us from him. Notice what, if you would, look in verse number 1. Notice what Paul says there. He tells us that we are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins when we live outside of a relationship with God. He said, you are spiritually dead. Now, when I hear that, I, I, can, I can think and go, well, that might be true for some people. You know, that might be true for, like, Osama bin Laden, but not me. I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of good things in my life. I've, I'm more, you know, I've done more good things than bad things. And that, those are some of the thoughts that we can have. But before we begin to pat ourselves on the back too much about, you know, what, what a really good person I am or that you are, we have to look and see what Scripture says. And see, you know, what does Paul say about us? And if you look in verse number 3, Paul says this. He says, all of us are spiritually dead. Now, what does that mean? For one, he says, all of us. That, 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 there's not a whole lot of wiggle room there, right? It says that all of us are spiritually dead. In other words, it is in all of our nature to be disobedient to the leadership of God. Anytime people naturally have someone in authority over them, our first response is to rebel against it. To not follow authority and leadership. Uh, Romans 3.10 tells us this about ourselves. It says, there is no one righteous. Again, no one. doesn't say there is no one except for the people in Blythewood. It says there is no one righteous. There is no one who does good. There's not even anyone who naturally seeks after God. And that's contrary to what our world teaches us today. Our world teaches us that man is basically good. You know, in our nature, we are kind people. And y'all, I've said this a million times. If you don't believe it, the only thing you have to do is have children. When you have children, you begin to believe in original sin. Parents, I mean, what do our kids do? Our kids, by, by nature, our kids push the envelope. By nature, they rebel against authority. They don't necessarily have a desire to follow leadership. Now, I'm not saying that our children are little mass murderers, but I am saying this about our kids. In their nature... They're disobedient. In your nature, you are disobedient. You want to follow your own way. Paul says it is a part of our nature to crave after sin. To crave after things that go against God. You know, sin is like, you know, it's like the cotton candy of the food world. You know, cotton candy, I don't know, is it I, Ryan's or Golden Corral? I can't figure, y'all, I can't, I, don't, I can't figure out this commercial. It says, you know, Golden Corral, their big selling point now is that they serve cotton candy. 
along, you know, not just the, uh, not just the fountain of chocolate. Have you all seen that commercial? And I'm not saying anything bad about Golden Corral. Yes, I am. That looks disgusting. But anyway, you know, cotton candy, like, that's going to be the big draw for me. And cotton candy, it's nice and fluffy, and you think, man, it's going to be sweet. It's going to be so good. And then you bite into cotton candy, and it is the most dissatisfying experience that there is. What happens to the cotton candy when you bite into it? It disappears. You can't, have, you can't chew on it. I mean, it's absolutely gone. And that is what, that's what sin is. You know, sin, it looks, it looks so good, it looks so satisfying, and yet we bite into it, and it's just empty. You know, it doesn't do anything for us. It shrivels up. Paul's a little more forthright when he says at the end of verse number 3, he says, we are by nature objects of God's wrath. Does that get your attention any? You know, we are by nature in opposition to God. We are by nature objects of God's wrath. And I think as we, we get older and if you've grown up in the church, we try to compensate for that. We say, well, God's not, you know, God's going to start liking me if I, if I don't smoke and if I don't drink, if I don't cuss and if I come into the church and if I'm nice to other people. And we come up with all these, all these different things thinking if I do these things, then God's going to like me. Guys, that's not the way that it works. You know, none of those things are enough to put us over the top with God. See, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't have enough juice in us to bridge the gap that stands between God and man. So what do we need? We need somebody to build a bridge between us and God. You know, it's sort of like a baby. Whenever a baby is born, a baby's totally helpless. You all notice that? They can't do anything. They can't walk. They can't take care of themselves. They, they can't feed themselves. They can't change their diapers. If they could, Emily and I would have had three or four more children. But, you know, that, that's just not what happens. They, if they're going to survive, what do they need? They need a parent to step in and care for them. And that is the same situation that we are in spiritually. You see, spiritually, we are, we are helpless, so to speak. We are by nature objects of God's wrath. And there's nothing that we can do to earn the good favor of God. So what we need is we need a parent, a God, who's going to step in for us and say, you know what, I can, I can change your clothes for you. I can, I can be, be the one who provides life and food for you. Because without it, y'all, we're in trouble. There is a chasm that stands between us and God that we can't fix on our own because we are spiritually dead. I can't bridge the gap between me and God because Paul says I'm spiritually dead. Can dead people do anything? Do you think that you can earn your way into God's good favor? That sounds like you, it sounds good, but if you're dead, you can't do it. You ever seen a dead person drive? You ever seen a dead person eat a meal? No. Why? Because they're dead. Can a spiritually dead person make themselves right with God? No. Why? They're dead. What do they need? They need a God who can restore them. You see, because without him, we're in trouble. Jesus said this in Luke 16, 26. He said, between, you, or between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. So the first fact I want you to see is that we're spiritually dead. Okay, y'all, we're in trouble spiritually. But here's the second fact that I want you to see, and that is this one. Christ gives life. Now look in verse number 4. It says, But God, who's abundant in mercy because of his great love that he has made for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses. And then it says, By grace are you saved. 
And he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in Christ, or in the heavens, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurably riches of his grace and his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then here's what it says. Famous verses, two verses. If you don't have these verses underlined, underline them. It says, for by grace have you been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Now, I don't know Paul's personality, but whenever I read the scriptures that Paul wrote, I look into the scriptures, and I think Paul's a pretty serious guy. I, I don't think Paul necessarily would have been a guy to, you know, that you would have gone out and seen Mr. Bean movies with. I mean, he's, I mean, he tells, I mean, Paul's real up front, he's blunt, he says, you are dead spiritually. Not comedic material. Paul is very serious. And what, what Paul tells us is that we are in trouble without God, and yet in our verse right here, he tells us, but we can have life in Jesus. Did you know that God desires for you to have life? It says we're dead spiritually, but God desires life for us. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, what happens for many of us is we say, I want life. That sounds really good, but we end up settling for a counterfeit life. You know, we go after all this junk that we think is going to satisfy us. You know, we go for after all this stuff that we think is going to be, bring pleasure into our lives. You know, if I can just attain this much money, my life's going to be good. If I can just own this kind of a car, if I can just go on these kinds of trips, then my life is going to count. It's going to make a difference for me. You guys, let me tell you something. It's hollow. Paul says whenever we seek after these things, we are seeking after a counterfeit life. Have you ever gotten a hold of something that wasn't real, that was counterfeit? I, I saw a show where these guys played a prank, and they, they gave their friend a fake winning lottery ticket. They TiVoed the previous day's winnings. Gave, they bought the numbers for the next, the next day of the previous night's winnings, and they sat down and said, let's watch this. Here, we're giving everybody tickets. They gave him a ticket. They're watching the show. It's on America's Funniest Videos, one of the greatest shows of all time. And uh, they're sitting there, and they're watching it. And as the guy's sitting there watching the TV, they call out the first number, and he's got it. He's like, all right. So he sits there, and you can see the excitement building as he's got every number, three, four. And it comes to the last number, and the guy's sitting there on that is receipt. He's like, oh, I just need one more number. And they call the number, and the guy goes absolutely bonkers. He's jumping up and down, going, I won the lottery. And he's giving everybody a high five, and everybody's laughing. But they know he really didn't win. And so finally it comes to a point where it starts getting uncomfortable because, I mean, he's so excited about it, and they're like, somebody's got to tell him. And so they finally tell the guy, and they say, man, it was just a joke. We team of this. The guy was absolutely irate, and he's humiliated. It was a horrible, it's, it's hilarious because you, we love to laugh at other people's misery, but then you're just sort of like, man, this is really uncomfortable. But he had a counterfeit ticket. It wasn't real. Uh, by the way, just as a little note, I was looking this, I, I found this story. You can actually buy fake winning lottery tickets, which I think would be a hoot uh, to do sometime. But anyway, uh, moving right along there, in a similar sense, that's what happens to us in life. We go after things that we think are valuable only to find out in the end when it's time to cash in, 
Man, it's just counterfeit. King Solomon basically said this in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 10 and 11. He said, I, decide, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. What are you, what are you seeking in life? You know, what are you striving for? Are you striving for stuff that's real? Are you investing your life in something that's real? Or are you investing your life in the counterfeit? What is it that you are striving for in your life? See, Paul tells us very simply. He says, we're spiritually dead. But then he shares with us that it is only Christ and Christ alone who gives life. And this is the last thing I want you to see as we wrap up. final fact I want you to see is that God works in us. Now look with me in verse number 10. This will be our final verse. It says, For we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. You know, it's always a frustration whenever you see something advertised and you get it and it's not as good as advertised. I, uh, I, I remember a number of years ago there was an infomercial on TV, y'all remember the guy that would sell the ShamWows? Uh, I, I would watch that commercial, and they would, it's like they'd pour out like a bucket of water, like 27 gallons of water, and he'd get this little tiny towel, and he would just, just, it would just sop right up. And it was just gone, and he'd stand up and wring it out, and just like a huge bucket would be filled up. And I was like, I've got to get one of those towels. I'm a sucker. I love infomercials. And so I, I ended up, I didn't purchase one, but I did get a ShamWow. And so I got a ShamWow, I was like, I'm going to try this thing out. Y'all... I hate to tell you all this, it is not as good as advertised. And I was totally disappointed whenever I saw that. Now, I think there are some people, whenever they look at Christianity and they look at the Word of God, they say, you know what, I think this book is just a big infomercial. And if I, if I buy into it, it's just, it's just not going to be as good as advertised. Now, what's advertised in this book? Here's what's really cool that's advertised in the book. It's a good story. One of them is that God, for one, God, God has a plan for your life. When he made you, he made you on purpose. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That is an awesome infomercial. That also says that, that God has known us since even before the foundation of the world was put into place. Jeremiah 1. God knew you before he made the world. Psalm 139 tells us that God created us in the womb of our mothers. That is, what, that is what God is selling to us. He's letting us know, I am a powerful God. I am a God who is glorious. And I know everything that the world has. The question is, is it true? And I look at the world and I see what the world offers. Now, see, the world offers, it tells us time and time again that we came about, that life, that life really has, ultimately, it, it doesn't have a, a big meaning because our life came about by accident. You know, we've been taught since we were kids that we came out of, like, the primordial soup. We crawled out of the ground. And, and whenever you buy into that worldview, guys, life has no value. You're just an accident. And then we think, you know, anything that I have has just simply come about because I've earned it. 
let me tell you something. If you hold to that viewpoint, I want you to know that your thinking is not biblical. It's not biblical. What does our text tell us today? In verse number 10, it tells us that we are the creation of God. We are the workmanship of God. And when he made us, he made us for a purpose. What is, what is one of the purposes that God made us for? According to verse number 10, one of those purposes is that we will do good works. Now, as I say that, I don't want you to think that you have value in your life because you do good works. A byproduct of God being in your life is that you will do good works. Because whenever God touches your life, and this is how we know it's not just an infomercial, when God touches your life and God comes into your life and you submit yourself to Him, let me tell you something, your life will be different. God changes people. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. A byproduct of God touching you is that your life changes. And I've seen it happen. We're not talking about an infomercial here, y'all. We are talking about fact. We're talking about reality. And so here's the question for us to ponder today. To whom do I belong? You know, you can look at your life and say, you know, my life's, not, my life's not running too well. It might look like a new car on the outside, but on the inside, it is, it is broken. And it could be that if your life is in that predicament, man, you need to look and examine yourself and say, who do I belong to? Do I belong, do I belong to the world? Or do I belong to God? You know, who is it I belong to? See, there's a few facts that Paul points out to us that can be that can be radically uh, that can radically transform the way that we think. First of all, he tells us we're spiritually dead. He tells us Christ gives us life, but then he tells us and God can work in us. Now, why is it important for us to know these things? It's important for us to know these things because it reminds us that our lives, through the power of Jesus, they have value. Your life matters. The question is, to whom does your life belong? Do you belong to God or do you belong to yourself? Who do you belong to? 